I'd like to call your attention to the book of Exodus, the 10th chapter. We're going to be looking this evening at verses 21 through 29 that deal with the ninth of the ten plagues. And as you can tell just from the number, we are getting near the end of the ten plagues on Egypt that precede the deliverance of Israel from Egypt. So if you would please give attention to God's holy word. For the word of the Lord is completely inerrant. The word of the Lord is completely authoritative. And the word of the Lord is completely sufficient. Exodus chapter 10, beginning at verse 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take of them to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again, for on the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, As you say, I will not see your face again. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. O Lord our God, we pray that you would use your word to show us who you are to show us the duty that you require of us and to show us the grace that you have provided in the Lord Jesus Christ. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. We come this evening to the ninth of the ten plagues. The ninth plague is the plague of darkness. And there is something about darkness that grips us with fear, that makes us afraid of judgment or of ill will or things that could happen to us. You know, it's, it's very interesting if perhaps you've had this experience with young children. When you first have a, a baby, you put the baby in the crib and the baby goes to sleep or not, dependent not at all upon the level of darkness in the room. But there, there comes a point where it seems naturally where a child will not go to sleep without a nightlight. They've got to have something to dispel the darkness. You don't have to teach a child to be afraid of the darkness. They just pick that up. I remember vividly an experience we had as we were traveling one time, and we had to travel with a nightlight because our children, when they were much younger, needed a nightlight. And lo and behold, the bulb on the nightlight was bad. 
Now, you would think for one night it wouldn't be that big of a deal. You wouldn't be able to have a problem from that. But no, 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 no. While we were traveling, Dad had to go out to the store to find a new bulb for the nightlight to dispel the darkness. This is just something that happens to us. And we could talk about children, but I think darkness is difficult for adults as well. It unsettles us. And it should. And the Lord uses that natural human reaction in this judgment that he brings upon Egypt and Pharaoh specifically. And what I would like us to see this evening are three accelerating judgments, as it were, that the darkness brings. First, in verses 21 through 23, we see a darkened land. Then in verses 24 through 26, we see a darkened mind. And then finally in verses 27 through 29, we see a darkened heart. We see darkness come over the land of Egypt, over the mind of Pharaoh, and then finally upon the heart of Pharaoh himself. Let's start by looking at the beginning here of our passage in verse 21. What we see here in the ninth plague is the greatest of all of the plagues so far. And it begins here in verse 21 unusually. It comes upon Egypt, but do you notice what is not happening here in our text? Typically, as we've seen each of the plagues, the Lord sends Moses to Pharaoh. And it goes something like this. Let my people go, or else I will bring judgment upon you. And Pharaoh decides not to let the people go, and God sends a plague upon Egypt. But here there's no warning. Pharaoh doesn't even know this is coming. This is a conversation just between the Lord and Moses in verse 21. The Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness. So, plagues are bad enough when you know they're coming. And you can kind of steal yourself for them. But when something comes at you unawares, it's even worse. And not only is this plague not announced, the severity of it is greater than the other plagues. We saw previously in this chapter, in verse 15, in the plague of the locust, the eighth plague, in verse 15, that a type of darkness came upon the land of Egypt when the swarm of locusts blotted out the sun from the sky. But that's a different kind of darkness than what we see here. That's kind of an overcast, a shadow, what we might consider an ordinary darkness. What we have here is something that is extraordinary and supernatural. It's described here as darkness, in verse 21, that may be felt. Now think about that for a moment. Have you ever felt darkness? Have you ever been where it is so black that you can't see your hand in front of your face? That darkness seems to surround you and to come over you. The word here that's used for felt is the same word that's used for Samson when they lean him against the pillars and he feels the pillars because he cannot see anything. He has been blinded. It is solely by feel that he knows where he is. This darkness is described in verse 22 as a pitch darkness. Now, this is an interesting way to describe it. It's an English translation of a particularly Hebrew way of thinking. 
In Hebrew, if you want to emphasize something, if you want to say something is very true, you say it's truly true. You repeat yourself. That's how you show that something is intensive. And that's actually what's done here. It is a darkness darkness. It is a pitch darkness. It is the darkest of all darkness that you've ever felt or seen. And the only parallel I think we have for this in the Bible is the description of the darkness that comes upon the day of the Lord. There is a darkness that comes that's described in Isaiah chapter 8 and in Joel chapter 2 of a darkness that comes over the earth as the judgment of God comes upon the wicked. Zephaniah describes it this way. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. That's what comes on Egypt. And I think this is important for us because at first glance, we might say to ourselves, well, okay, so Pharaoh has to sit in the dark. Darkness isn't that bad. Surely it can't be as bad as locusts. At least there's not hail raining down on them. There's no frogs in their pots and in their beds and in their couches and all over the place. This seems comparatively minor compared to the other plagues until we understand the depth of the darkness and the despair that comes along with it. Now, we don't need to be experts in numerology to know that the Bible talks about certain numbers as being significant. Seven, ten, three. And so it's interesting here that the darkness as described as taking place in verse 23 for three days. Now even that is difficult because after the first day of darkness is done, there's no daylight. The second day is no day. It's just another day of darkness. And then the third day of darkness comes upon Egypt. And so what we see here is an image of complete judgment brought down on Egypt. Now, it is a true miracle worked by our Lord because it's not just that the clouds blotted out the sun. We've seen this before that that scholars, so-called, try to come up with reasons or excuses for the plagues that are natural. They'll say, well, there was a certain disease that struck the Nile, and, and because of that disease, frogs came up out of the Nile. And because there were so many frogs, that caused bugs to come out. And because of this, this happened and that happened. But what we see here is not just the darkness of the sun and the moon. It's a darkness where there's no artificial light at all. Do you see how Exodus describes it? No one rose from their place for three days. You know why that is? Because they couldn't light a candle. Because they couldn't have any artificial light. This darkness was supernatural. They couldn't dispel it at all. You know, one of the things that makes us less afraid of the darkness is we can dispel it. We can flip a light switch and the lights come on. And even if there's a blackout, we have flashlights, we have candles, we have ways to push back the darkness. But the Egyptians had none of this. The darkness which could be felt came over them. The Egyptians had no ability to control their own lives. God was showing them exactly how sovereign his control was. Now, why would God choose darkness? Why would this be the ninth of ten plagues? Why would God work himself up to darkness? 
Well, I think one of the things that we've seen in the various plagues is that they're not just attempts to get Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go. No, they are actually judgments upon the gods of Egypt. Perhaps most famously we saw that in the Lord turning the Nile to blood because the Egyptians thought that the Nile was a god. And so God was saying, if you think your gods are powerful, look and see what I can do. And this makes darkness significant here at this time in this place because the ultimate of all of the Egyptian gods was Ra, the sun god. And it wasn't just that Ra was the sum of the gods of Egypt. The pharaoh was thought to be the living personification of Ra. He was a god on earth. And so what we see here is God putting his judgment upon Pharaoh and upon the Egyptian false gods and showing who is really the true and living God. He's judging Egypt for their unbelief. And this darkness in judgment is a sign of God's abandonment of them. Proverbs chapter 4 talks about the way of the wicked being darkness. We might even think about this hearkening back to Genesis chapter 1. Do you remember as God created all things that before he spoke, everything was formless and void and dark? And what did God say? Let there be light. And the light was separated from the darkness. And God began to fashion all of creation. So the darkness speaks of judgment, it speaks of abandonment, it speaks of chaos. Now Israel, of course, is distinguished from the land of Egypt because we see here that the Israelites had light in all their dwellings, which tells us two things. First, that God was not judging Israel, but secondly, it shows clearly the delineation and the judgment nature of this plague. It's not as if darkness just came over the whole earth indiscriminately. No. The Israelites would know that God was for them. The Egyptians would know that God was against them. A line of demarcation had been put forth. And this again shouldn't surprise us, because the Bible speaks of the Lord God as the light of his people. We think about this in the New Testament. One of the ways in which Jesus describes himself as is the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And then, of course, in Revelation chapter 22, we are told that there is no need for any more sun or moon because the Lord is the light of his people. And so we see here not only the judgment of darkness, but we see God highlighting his provision for his people in being the light of his people in a dark land of Egypt. Well, then in verse 24, we see that Pharaoh once again calls Moses. And Pharaoh still thinks that he can bargain with Moses. I don't know if you've noticed it, but Pharaoh keeps kind of upping the ante in what he tries to do to retain authority and yet get relief. He's not willing to submit to the Lord. He's not willing to admit he's wrong, but he's willing to continue to bargain thinking that he can have his way. It's almost as if 
you got a letter from the IRS that said to you, you owe $5,000 in back taxes. And you went and you met with the agent and you said, well, I see what you're saying here, but I don't really want to pay you $5,000. How about I give you $1,000? And the agent looks at you and says, that'll be $5,000, please, sir. And you go your way, you wait a week, and you make another appointment, and you say, listen, I understand your point. How about we call it $1,500, and we call it even? And the agent looks at you and says, that'll be $5,000, sir. And you think somehow by calling him back again and bargaining up to $2,500 or to $3,500 that somehow you can get the government to submit to you. What all they're going to keep saying to you is, that will be $5,000, sir. You see, they have no reason to submit to you. They have no reason to bargain with you. And that's the situation here between Pharaoh and God. God has no reason to bargain with Pharaoh. God is sovereign here. The only thing Pharaoh can do is submit. And he won't do that. Because he keeps trying to maintain his power. And even his attempts at generosity are attempts to manipulate God. Do you see how he does that here in this text? Now in his great magnanimity, he says, you know what? You can take your children with you. I don't know if you recall, but previously he said only the men could go. That the children couldn't go. And so now he's going the extra mile. He's not willing to admit that God is sovereign. He's not willing to submit, but he's willing to be more generous. All you have to do is keep the animals back. But of course, this counters the very purpose that the Israelites have stated for going. That is to sacrifice to the Lord their God. That's what Moses has said from the very beginning. So what we see here is that Pharaoh in his mind somehow thinks he's in control. He doesn't understand who God is. We might put it this way. After eight plagues, he doesn't know who he's dealing with. You would think... He would have gotten the drift. And so when Pharaoh says you must leave your your flocks behind, the word that is used in the Hebrew actually means they must be detained here. I will retain control over them. I will tell you when and how you can sacrifice. Not God. I'll be in charge. But Moses knows who is in charge. He is forceful and bold in his answer. Look at verse 25. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Now the language here is is very interesting. Languages other than English have the ability to have the personal pronoun built into the verb. So where we say, you send, that could be one word in Hebrew, or one word in Greek. But that doesn't mean you can't say, you, you send. And you use the personal pronoun for emphasis. And that's exactly what Moses does here. The first two words that Moses actually uses are, indeed, you, Pharaoh. You must also let us have sacrifices. Moses is putting Pharaoh on the spot. He is demanding the sovereignty of God. And he will make no yielding at all. Look at verse 26. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind. It would appear 
that if God or Israel would ever compromise with Pharaoh, now would be the time. But of course, there's no interest in compromise here. As we've seen over and over again, this battle is not about somehow prying the Israelites loose from the grasp of Pharaoh. No, this is a cosmic battle between the true and living God and the false gods of Egypt. Between the service of the people of God to the Lord and unbelievers' rejection and rebellion of him. And so Moses does reason with Pharaoh. He describes in verse 26, we must take this livestock to serve the Lord our God because we don't know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. And so he says we have to serve God with these sacrifices. And what's implied here is the sacrifices must come from the Israelites. They know that they must serve him in a way that is costly to themselves. They must bring the sacrifice. And so we see the battle continue as Pharaoh's mind is darkened. And then as we continue on through our text, we see not only the darkened mind of Pharaoh, we see the darkened heart of Pharaoh. Look at verse 27. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. What we see here is God is completely sovereign. It's interesting that Pharaoh is not even given here the opportunity to respond. It's not as if Pharaoh first hardens his heart and then rejects God's demands and then God further hardens his heart. Do You see, God is taking the initiative here. The darkness isn't just over the land of Egypt. It's not just clouding the mind of Pharaoh. It has a grip on the heart of Pharaoh. Now, why is this? It's because God will have his glory. Pharaoh's rejection of God's demand is relatively unimportant. What's important here is God getting the glory from the victory in this struggle. There's an interesting parallel that's found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, as we come near to the time of our Lord Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross. The leaders of the Jewish nation are gathering together. And we see here in Matthew 26, when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Now what you may not remember is what follows. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the place of the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. So what we have here is the chief priests and leaders saying specifically that this should not happen during the feast. But of course, that's exactly what happens. Why? Well, because Jesus decreed it. He said the time has come during the Passover that the Son of Man must be sacrificed. God will have his will. Now that should be a great comfort to you and to me as we see hostility to the Lord 
and to his church in our world. The world thinks it can gain the victory. The world thinks it can set the pace. The world thinks that it is sovereign over the church and the mission of God. But what the Bible teaches us over and over and over again, and not least of which here during this ninth plague, is that God is in complete control. That his will is the will that will be done. That no one dictates to God at all. And so then what we see is Pharaoh fulfilling the maxim that our Lord Jesus Christ has given to us in the Gospels. That it is out of the mouth that the heart speaks. God uses Pharaoh's own mouth to pronounce the curse upon himself. Look at verse 28. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me, take care never to see my face again, for on the day you see my face, you shall die. Now, this is an example of Pharaoh speaking what will come about, not as Pharaoh intends it to come about. He intends it to be a threat against Moses and the Israelites. But it is true. Pharaoh will never see the face of Moses again because we know that Pharaoh's end is coming. He will be destroyed in the Red Sea by God. This is like the example of what we saw before with Balaam and Balak with a blessing pronounced upon the people of God where a curse is attempted because God will be sovereign in his way. Now there's also an irony here. Don't ever let anyone tell you that the Bible isn't humorous. Because I think what's happening here is is one of the funnier passages in the Bible. What do I mean? Can you imagine Pharaoh is saying to Moses, You will never see my face again. Where is Pharaoh standing? In complete darkness. As he's saying this, he can't see Moses. And he can't see Moses because God has sent darkness upon him. Pharaoh's pretending that he's in control and he can't even see Moses. It's a ridiculous statement. But the judgment that Pharaoh has pronounced upon himself is that he is cutting himself off from the means of salvation. He is sending Moses away from him. And it is true. Moses says, as you say, I will not see your face again. And that is true. The next plague that comes upon Pharaoh just comes upon him. Moses does not come to him again. Pharaoh will never see Moses again. Moses and the Israelites will depart from Egypt and Pharaoh and his armies will be destroyed in a flood in the Red Sea. Out of the mouth of Pharaoh, the darkness in his heart speaks And this is confirmed by God's prophet Moses in verse 29. And so, Pharaoh makes haste to get Moses away from him. But what he's really doing is shutting the only door that he has to forgiveness and salvation. Darkness has completely enveloped his heart. Well, what does this mean then for you and for me? What do we think about when we think about darkness and light? I think the first thing that we need to remember is that the light is only found in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. All other light is derivative 
of the light of Jesus. The sun with all of its power and its light is nothing compared to the light of the Son of God. The light that the Son of God casts upon our life, upon our souls, upon our very being. It also reminds us of God's promise to us in Christ. Do you remember in Acts chapter 26 that Paul tells others that Jesus has come to bring them from darkness to light? The promise that Jesus brings to us is that he brings us out of the darkness of sin and shame and to the light of the Lord our God. And when we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, how are we to live? The Bible tells us that we are to live by casting off the works of darkness. By living in the light of Jesus Christ. And so what we see here, once again, is a picture of the Lord our God working in judgment and in mercy. Judgment upon those who rebel and who will not submit. And mercy to those who bend the knee to the Son, who confess that they are sinners and they are in need of a Savior, and that they need to be brought out of darkness and into the light of the Lord. Let's pray.